Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC 252, Stipe Miocic versus Daniel Cormier. And Shaq, it's going down this Saturday in Las Vegas, Nevada. The heavyweight championship is on the line. One man's going to walk out the baddest man on the planet, and they're going to get to determine who wins the trilogy. Yeah, you know, uh, it's not too often where we get these type of trilogy fights, especially uh, in the heavyweight division, the last one I can remember is, you know, JDS and uh, and uh, Cain Velasquez, you know. So this is a, a good rivalry they got brewing on here. I think the winner is guaranteed to go down as the greatest, you know, heavyweight of all time, the a.k.a. the baddest man on the planet. And, you know, it's, it's DC's last fight, man. He's had a great run, uh, a legendary career, champs in two weight classes. So, you know, uh, and Stipe Miocic, man, the dude beat Francis Ngannou. He's beat Overeem. I mean, he, he is the greatest heavyweight of all time currently. So I'm excited. Man, when you think about the trilogies that have taken place in the sport, for the most part, they've been pretty epic. I mean, you look at a fight between Matt Hughes and BJ Penn. You look at Randy Couture and Chuck Liddell. So to see this one go up there in history, it's pretty exciting to see, man. And I feel like this one's happened so fast. Like, really, literally, the trilogy, all three fights have taken place with in a year or two time span so basically they're about to get it done real quick and get it figured out and i'm curious to see how dc reacts in the deep waters because historically speaking in these five round fights he pushes such a hard pace he tends to slow down a bit you know stipe one thing about him he's got serious cardio so man i'm very intrigued by the main event and to see what goes down uh when these two lock horns check yeah man 100 percent uh you know, the first fight, uh, I know Stipe was a big favorite, and, and, he, and he got knocked out. You know, he, he said he had some personal issues going on. And, you know, but, man, you got to give credit to DC. And you know, in the second fight, it kind of seemed like DC did get carried away a little bit. You know, it, I mean, let's be honest here. He was up 3-0 clear. Um, it's just, you know, he was kind of, there's two more rounds. You know, you, you still got two more rounds to go. And I think maybe he kind of pushed it like it was a three-round fight. So, yeah, man, that's some good points. And, uh, you know, Stipe Miocic, like, this guy, for a champion, man, he's, like, one of the more counted-out champions. Like, he seems like a lot of people always go against him, but uh, he always gets the job done. Man, I mean, the guy beat Francis Ngannou, so uh, that, that's all I got to say. Well, Shaq. Let's get right down to business because first up in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between Kai Kamaka, he's 7-2, and two, and Tony Kelly is 5-1. and one. Currently, they got Kai Kamaka minus 230. The comeback on Tony Kelly is plus 195. Well, Shaq, this is what I know about these guys. Uh, I saw Kai Kamaka fight on LFA two weeks ago, and... Man, I, I thought he was UFC ready then. I mean, he's a Hawaiian warrior. He's in fantastic shape. He can go three rounds. He trains with Ray Cooper. Very aggressive guy, but he's not like first round or bust anything. I've seen him win plenty of decisions. And I thought to myself in that last fight, like, hey, this guy might get a call soon. And here he is. And he's taking on Tony Kelly. And interestingly enough, do you remember that MTV show back in the day that Matt Schnell was on? Tony uh, Kelly was actually on there with him, and, you know, he actually lost a close split decision to Kevin Aguilar, so for that to be his only loss on the regional scene, that's pretty damn good, and, you know, Tony Kelly's no slouch at all, you know, comes out of that Louisiana fight scene, you already know Louisiana has produced a lot of UFC fighters, where whether it's the former champ, Dustin Poirier, or even guys like Matt Schnell, and more recently, uh, Head Kicks MMA, Aaron Phillips, so... Definitely a lot of guys from that scene have made it to the UFC. Now it's Tony Kelly's turn. I just kind of feel like Kai Kamaka is the superior athlete here, and uh, he's the more well-rounded guy. Don't forget about my boy Brennan. He's from Louisiana. Oh, uh, yeah, good point. Yeah, so great point, Shaq. Uh, lots of guys. Brendan Allen's been doing his thing. So they produce some real fighters in that Louisiana scene, man. So Tony Kelly, he's ready to go. He's decent everywhere the fight goes. I would say his takedown defense needs a lot of work. He's kind of too content to play off his back and look for subs and things like that. So I'm going to go with Kai uh, Kamaka. I think he's probably the more well-rounded fighter. I think he's got the higher ceiling. I think he's the better athlete. Uh, and, and I like his attacks, man. I like how he just goes forward the entire time, rips the body hard with punches, with kicks. I'm going to go with Kai Kamaka to get it done here in his UFC debut. Yeah, Kamaka, you know, he seemed like a, like a Hawaiian banger. You know, he seemed like he was, you know, willing to stay in the pocket and trade. You know, his LFA fight looked really good the first round, but then he kind of got a little over aggressive the second, but he was able to uh, gather himself and win the third. And Kelly, I'm, I'm pretty familiar. I, I remember him from the... Uh, 
from the show at Chanel, it's actually funny because, you know, he was actually the main character of that, sh- uh, of that show, I believe. Uh, I think, like, he was, like, supposedly supposed to be, you know, the guy. It wasn't even supposed to be uh, Chanel, but, you know, uh, here he is now. I, his fight with Kevin Aguilar was very exciting, very back and forth, but it was a split decision, but it was one of those things where it was, like, it's close because Kevin Aguilar blocks punches with his face, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't think it was, like, you know, a skill thing necessarily, man. So, uh, yeah, I, I lean Kamaka. I just think he's way more physical and you know, he's fought better competition as well. So, uh, I'm gonna go with him for the win. Now, next up in the heavyweight division, we got a matchup between Chris Dacus, he's eight and three, and Parker Porter is 10 and five. Currently, they got Parker Porter minus 120. The comeback on Chris Dacus is plus 100. So, line margins, line margins have definitely tightened up because uh, Parker Porter opened up a bigger favorite. And interesting little uh, tidbit here. Parker Porter actually fought John Jones, John Bones Jones, on the regional scene, got knocked out in like 30 seconds. But no matter what happens, when it's all said and done, he can always be the guy that said, hey, I fought John Jones on the regional scene. I even got to fight in the UFC once. So that's a pretty cool dude. And obviously, Chris Dacus, the brother of Kyle Dacus. But uh, but uh, Shaq, oftentimes when you see these brother tandems, there's the talented brother and there's the shitty brother. And I'm not talking about like the Burns brothers or the D brothers or the Pettis brothers. I'm talking about every other example, right? Like usually there's the talented guy and the not so talented one. And if you're expecting, you mean like the Tamor brothers? <laughs> if you're expecting Chris Dawkins to come out here and be like some transition master like his brother, to you know be this high level black belt like his brother, if you're expecting back take city like his brother. You might be in uh, for a little surprise when you see uh, the fat guy kind of go to his back easily here. So uh, I'm going to go with Parker Porter, and I hope he gets on the mic and and calls out John Jones and says, I want my rematch. Yeah, you know, uh, Dawkins definitely – yeah, that was kind of my thoughts as well. You know, I was like – you know, it always seems like the little brother's way better than the big brother, you know? <laughs> and, and that was the case here. Man, I really don't think either guy is UFC caliber, to be honest. Like, I think Porter is big. Uh, I don't want to say, like, too bigger, but he seems like he gets to the point more. Like, he throws his big overhand right, his big low kicks, look to get the takedowns. And when he gets on top, he he is a load. He's six foot two, sixty five. Dawkins is a big boy, too. It's just Dawkins, man, he, he's fought all bums, uh... You know, uh, got knocked out against uh, Zhu. Uh, I can't say his last name, but, you know, uh, I just really wasn't impressed with either guy, to be honest. But I was uh, more I was more underwhelmed with uh, Dawkins, man. I was like, man, this guy, uh, yeah, you know, it's gonna, I think it's going to be an ugly fight. I, I lean Parker Porter, but, you know, uh, maybe maybe uh, Chris Dawkins can can get some help from his little bro. His little bro went three rounds with Brennan, you know, that's something, that's something Kevin Holland couldn't do. Yeah, look, if they want to do uh, Kyle Dawkins versus Parker Porter, I got Kyle Dawkins for sure, you know what I mean? First round finish, but Chris Dawkins, I'm not so sure, but I'm happy he's in the UFC, so let's see what happens. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between downtown TJ Brown. He's 14 and 7, and Danny Chavez is 10 and 3. Currently, they got TJ Brown minus 150. The comeback on Danny Chavez is plus 130. Well, Shaq, uh, what's interesting about this, again, just like the last fight, is that the favorite actually opened up a lot wider than he currently is. You know what I mean? Uh, TJ Brown opened close to 2 to 1. And I feel like the reason a lot of action is coming in against him is because, you know, firstly, people don't really respect wrestlers. But secondly, in all of uh, TJ's losses, you know, he's been finished and he gets dropped in a lot of the fights he wins, too. So definitely a question in the durability side of things. But one thing there's no question about is if this fight goes to decision, I mean, TJ Brown's never lost a decision. This guy is going to work, work, work the entire time until he either wins or until he either gets caught. Now, all I know about Danny Chavez is... I've seen a 10-second head kick knockout, which, you know, it was great to watch, but it didn't really, like, tell me much. And I saw an IG photo of him from 2017 with a black belt. So that's really all I know about the guy. I don't know what I don't know what kind of black belt he is. I don't know if he's a guard puller. I don't know if he's an aggressive top guy. I don't know shit, except I saw a picture of him in a gi with a black belt, and I saw him knock some random guy out with a head kick. I got to go with TJ Brown here. I think he pushes the pace, and as long as he doesn't get finished, I think he goes ahead and wins his first UFC fight. Yeah, man, TJ Brown is one of those guys where it's actually really unfortunate because 
you know, he has a really good, like, pressure wrestling style. Like, he, he you know, he's hell-bent on the takedown, and he's, and he's good on top. But it just seems like I think when he gets in there, it's a mental thing. I think, like, he blacks out and he, like, just loses focus, and which leads to kind of – he kind of reminded me of Maki Patolo a little bit. Like, he just loses focus a little, and then he gets knocked out or submitted or – you know, and, and, and there'll be fights that he's winning, too, like, and it's unfortunate, like, the last fight, you know, he was fucking dominating Jordan Griffin, and, and then he gets finished, so, you know, from a betting perspective, man, he, he, I know he opened a big favorite, and I think that's because, you know, I, I don't know shit about Chavez, all I know is, you know, he comes from a MMA Masters, that's where, you know, Lamas comes from. That's where Miguel Baeza comes from. So you know, uh, I, I I'm pretty sure he's he's got the right training here. So I'm a, I think his black belt is legit because Baeza is a legit black belt and uh, and Lamas is a second degree black belt. So you know, I think his black belt's legit. I have a feeling that he is gonna get a knockout. I feel like T.J. Brown just can't keep it together throughout the course of a 15 minutes. This is just a feeling. I don't know really shit about him. I, I've only seen the head kick you've seen, and you know, and, and that about it but you know uh, tj brown is just a guy where like you know if any if he gets hit on the chin clean after a, a couple of wrestling exchanges and he's a little fatigued he's gonna hit the canvas you know or or at least, i mean bro he got choked out from uh jordan griffin was in like bottom side control you know what i'm saying and he got choked out so you know man this guy tj brown is real skitzy uh so i'm i'll take chavez by finish now, next up in the strawweight division, we got a matchup between Verna Janjiroba. She's 15-1. and one, And the return of Felice Herrig. She's 14-8. and eight. Currently, they got Verna Janjiroba minus 310. The comeback on Felice Herrig is plus 255. Shaq, I got to know, with a line like this, is it one takedown in the fights over shortly after? Yeah, man. This is a, this is a good fight. You know, uh, Felice is coming off... Uh, the ACL surgery, so I'm assuming, you know, that's probably a lot of the reason why the line's off. And her, her last fight, man, her, she looked like a stiff, and she got really tired, and, you know, she was getting head and arm thrown by Watterson. Um, and Janderoba, you know, she had that fight with Carla on short notice, so, we you know, I'll cut her some slack in that one. Uh, it was a week short notice, and, you know, she she won a round at least, like, but, you know, the other two rounds, Carla Spars is, like, top six, so... You know, uh, she just got outclassed a little bit. And then the second one, she was able to do her thing, get on top. And Janderoba is like an interesting case to me because I feel like overall, honestly, she is nothing too special. Like, you know, I just think that she's a specialist. I think she's a specialist on the ground. I think that if she if she can get on top of some of these girls that her, her jujitsu prowess is just going to be a little bit too much. Now, it's, it's weird because Felice like also kind of uses the same the same type of strategy she kind of like and look at her wins you know the justine quiche fight she just back takes her the entire time or the uh grasso fight she got some takedowns and you know when i was watching tape on this i was like is it is could could one say that felice is more well-rounded than janderoba yeah i mean you know uh I, i think there's a decent argument argument there to be made it's just I think his fights more so mentally with Felice. Like I, I just you know I, I just don't like what I you know and, and some of these fights, man. She especially the last two. I know it was against you know somewhat top competition at the time, but you know there were just moments where like she gets so tired and stiff and she's in the clinch and you know she's a tough girl. I give her that. She's definitely a lot more tougher than I thought going into this. Um, my only concern is what if Janderoba's takedown game isn't working? Because on the feet, man, Janderoba's really slow. She doesn't really, like, do much. You know, she ain't going to come out here and stick the jab out or anything like that. It's, you know, just overhand right to the takedown, man. Um, I, I personally think, you know, it, she's going to get the win. I just think she's a tougher and she'll be able to keep it together mentally. Uh, but, man, you know, what if that takedown game isn't working, you know, then I feel like it could potentially be a close fight just because I feel like Felice throws kicks, you know, I don't want to say better hands, but just, you know, she's fought better strikers, you know, in the past and done pretty good against them. So 
Uh, I, I'll take Jandaroba for a pick. I wish the line was a little closer. I think currently it's a little bit of a stretch, but for from a from a pick perspective, I gotta go with Jandaroba. She's been more active. She, you know, she went tough three tough rounds with the spars. I gotta finish her next one, and I and I truly think she's a specialist. I think that uh, you know, when she gets on top of some of these girls, man, they'll panic. And we've seen what happens. Uh, to Felice, man, she lost to Paige Vanzant. She got tapped out against Random Marcos. You know, um. But, man, she had a good stretch, but the last two fights, you know, uh, I guess it was just a, a step up in competition. I don't know what it was, but she got and got exposed. So I'll go with the Jandaroba. Yeah, look, I mean, after Felice's last two fights, we were thinking, hey, she's kind of on her way out. She's at the tail end of her career, and this was two years ago. And then after those performances, now she's got a two-year layoff plus an ACL surgery. So it's not like I'm expecting her to come out here reinvigorated or the best form of her career. I'm expect, I'm expecting a step down from the last version we saw. And like I said, the last version we saw, we were already heavily criticizing. So you do bring up a good point just because like just like with any of these specialists, if they can't get the takedown, then yeah, you know, then they start to flop then they start to get gassed the whole bit. I get it. It's just uh I think she will get the takedown. I mean, look, she even in that loss to Carla Sparza, she took that she still took down Carla Sparza three times in that fight. And I think she's only gonna need one good takedown to discourage Felice Herrick, pass the mount, and then when Felice tries to buck her off, take her back, choke her out. I'm going Verna Janjiroba via submission here. Now, also in the strawweight division, we got a matchup between Lavinia Souza. She's 13 and 2, and Ashley Yoder is 7 and 5. Currently, they got Lavinia Souza minus 165. The comeback on Ashley Yoder is plus 145. Shaq, this is interesting because I would say that Lavinia Souza is the tougher fighter here for sure, but she's also the way smaller fighter, and the area of success that Yoder's had in the past it has been her grappling abilities. Do you think she can grapple the smaller opponent here? I feel like, uh, like you said, Sousa's tougher, Yoder's longer. Yoder's really long. She's got long legs, long left hand. Man, this fight, because when I watch Yoder, to be honest, bro, like, I'm not going to say she's not UFC caliber, but because she went to split with McKenzie, and she's been in some close fights. But what I, well, where I will criticize her is, man, I, I personally don't think you know, heart wise, like when a fight's like one to one and and it's gritty back and forth, and you know y- y'all are fighting for the last takedown. She has folded every single time. You know the Justine Keys fight that was a close fight in the third round, but what happened? Ashley Yoder pulled guard and you know uh, and went to her back. You know the uh, Mackenzie Dern fight, somewhat of a close fight, but then third round Mackenzie Dern got on top of her and, and pounded, started pounding her out, and she just didn't do enough. Even in her one win or or win against bobby cooper like it was a close fight like it could have went either way man like and bobby cooper's you know just a ufc reject and then you know she had the win over suri kondo uh i think she i, I was there yeah i was there live she uh she did her thing there but we know suri kondo's not in the ufc anymore and you know random marcos like i actually thought yoder did some good things like you know she is a black belt you got two black belts going against each other and you know she was able to get on top of marcos and i think her length really caused some problems but man she got really tired in the boxing exchanges man they were just uncomfortable like she was getting tagged on the chin really big and marcos was was definitely cracking her with some right hand so susan on the other hand i feel like she's kind of been a little bit of a letdown since she got signed but you know to be honest her last fight with van buren i'm gonna just go ahead and say i don't think ashley yoder is capable of doing anything like that um i don't see ashley yoder coming out here and and, you know throwing chris boxing combos in the pocket and, and you know slamming lavinia with uh with double legs i i think i know van buren just lost her last fight but i think she's a a, a different level um I feel like Souza is more basic. You know, she just gets, it's either, you know, over, it's kind of like a, a, a lesser version of Jandaroba, you know, overhand right takedown, you know? Um, and I, and I think it's going to be a close fight no matter which way you look at it. But I think, you know, in this close fight, when the going gets tough and, and both girls are a little fatigued and tired, I'm going to take Lavinia Souza to get this, to get, to win this extra scramble, to get on Ashley Yoder's back or, or, you know, land some overhand rights when uh, Yoder's tired. I, I, I do think this fight's going to come down to toughness. So I, I'm going to take the more intense person, and I'm going to take the uh, 
you know, the person where I do feel like uh, Lavinia is slightly the better black belt and slightly uh, better boxing, but she can't back up in this fight because Yoder's tall. But personally, Yoder's taller than everyone she fights, and I just don't feel like she utilizes that range very well, man. So uh, I'm going to go with Lavinia. Yeah, look, Yoder's definitely got a path to victory. Like I said, she's the bigger woman here. If she can go ahead and kind of, you know, not big brother, big sister Lavinia, you know what I mean, body her, get her to the mat, kind of lay on her for two of the three rounds, she's got the path. It's just that, like you said, and I agree with you, if this becomes a tough fight, if this becomes a battle of wills, if this becomes, you know, a situation of who is the tougher fighter and who wants it more, Lavinia is going to win that all day. Like, I've seen Lavinia knock girls out with overhand rights before like i've seen her stop people before i've seen her be mean in there before and uh i don't think that ashley yoder is as relentless as brianna van buren was that night so i do agree with you i i see the argument for the dogger pass situation it's just that like it has to be the perfect performance from yoder like she can't get touched on the chin she can't get reversed because you know you know what happens when she gets reversed right she ain't getting back up so I'm going to lean with Lavinia Souza to get back on track. We'll see what happens. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between Jim Miller. He's 32 and 14, and Vince Pichel is 12 and 2. Currently, they got Vince Pichel minus 125. The comeback on Jim Miller is plus 105. So, as you know, Shaq, Jim, Jim Miller's extending the record for most fights in UFC history. And, I mean, he's been on somewhat of a good run i mean from losing a bunch of fights back to back now granted you know it was against pettis poirier trinaldo it was against some real guys but if you're not quite on that level he's not just going to beat you he's going to finish you in the first round vince is a tough guy he's kind of that middle ground between the guys that um that jim was losing to and the guys that he was beating Vince is kind of in the middle, I feel like. And Vince is a tough guy. One one thing Vince is known for is his cardio. And usually when fights go past the first round, uh, Jim does have a little bit of trouble these days. But do you think that Vince pushes the kind of pace to, fa to fatigue a guy like Jim Miller if this goes the distance? Yeah, I think we know what Jim Miller brings to the table in that first round. He's got that spectacular finishing ability with the guillotines, the arm bars, even the even his boxing. But we know what the deal is. You know, historically speaking, if you can get him into the second and third rounds, he will start to slow down. And I think that's going to be the case here. You know, his last fight, Roosevelt slipped and put him right in perfect position. And and that was it, man. And that seems like how a lot of his fights go. Um and then, you know, Vince Pichel, man, this guy, you know, been a fan of his since Tough 15, one of the better seasons of Tough. And it seems like everyone on that season, man, they all have a respect for uh, for Pichel, man. It's like, you know, that's Vince, bro. You don't, you don't fuck around with Vince, man. But, yeah, man, I think Vince is crafty as fuck. Vince actually kind of is a point fighter, to be honest, man. Like, Vince kind of, like, you know, will play games from the outside. Like, I mean – like he has a point fighting basis. Like he gets a lot of knockouts, but I'm saying like he, uh, like he moves on the outside. He switches stance. He likes to throw the inside low kicks, the jabs. And then when he gets his range, then, you know, he'll, he'll start to open up a little bit more and, and, and he does get better as the fight progresses. You know, the Jim Miller opening line being minus 180, you know, I think, you know, if you took, if you got that Pichel at, you know, plus 140, 150, I, I feel like, yeah, man, you, you're definitely on the right side. Cause I do think if Pichel uh, gets into the late rounds that he, he can start the volume will start to separate him from Jim Miller and, and Jim Miller, he's a tough guy, but man, in that Holtzman fight, I actually watched it again, man. And man, it was actually a more sloppier fight than I realized. Cause like Jim was actually cracking Scotty with left hands and like in the second round, he Scotty just took him down, and that was it, man. He uh, he just stayed on his back and, and got smashed on. And third round, it was it was more of the same. Um, so I do feel like Jim can finish Vince, but Vince is a tough guy, man. Like it's gonna be hard to finish Vince Attell. It's gonna have to be an armbar, a, a guillotine, and I honestly don't see it happening. So I'm gonna go with Vince. I think he's the tougher guy throughout the 15 minutes. Uh, but just currently where the line is now, I, I wouldn't play Vince just cause like, you know, he was a bigger dog at one point. I don't think there's any more value at this point. Uh, but Jim Miller, man, you can't count this guy out. He did open the uh, favorite. He's a, he's a dog now. It's just, uh. Man, I, I think Vince Pichel's got a lot more experience, a lot more composure uh, than some of these young guys like, you know, Roosevelt. And uh, he already beat Roosevelt. He was the first one to beat Roosevelt. And, you know, Alex White and 
and you know some of these guys that he's been beating. So I'm gonna go with from Hell Pachel from uh, Tough Fifteen. Yeah, I agree with you that Tough 15 was one of the best seasons of the Ultimate Fighter. A lot of those guys still in the UFC today. But, man, this is interesting because obviously the thing with Jim is that when fights go past the first round, historically speaking, uh, you know, he tends to lose those fights. And I have a feeling this will go past the first round. However... I'm just not convinced that Vince is going to make him work the entire time like these other guys have, which forces him to gas. Like, Vince uh, doesn't really put that pressure on and or push that pace, which I think is going to gas out Miller. But it's also like, is Miller going to gas himself out by trying, you know, so hard to get that finish in the first round? It's a tough fight to call. I'm actually leaning towards Jim Miller here. I think he's the better fighter. And I think if he can just not totally blow his load in that first round if he's got enough to go out there and win the second as well this could actually be the first fight in a while where he wins the decision but uh vince is very tough not not going to count him out but i'm leaning with jim miller here now next up in the featherweight division we got a matchup between herbert the blaze burns he's 11 and 2 and daniel the pit pineda is 26 and 13 Currently, they got Herbert Burns minus 280. The comeback on Daniel Pineda's plus 240. Well, Shaq, I was one of the few people that was actually kind of disappointed when Daniel Pineda got cut from the UFC the first time because uh, I always felt like he was a really exciting guy, win, lose, or draw. And now when you look at it, and you know the guy's had over 40 pro fights, you know that uh, he's still never been to a decision before. <laughs> you know, Pineda is kill or be killed and has been like that his entire career. And that makes him a super exciting guy to watch. Now, I hear a lot of people talking about how all he's got to do is survive this first-round jujitsu storm from Herbert, and then he's going to win the decision. It's like, really? Well, you know uh, Pineda's 0-6 when fights go to decision, right? And not to mention, he's been submitted six times as well. So I, I feel like I really like watching Pineda fight. It's just that one of his main qualities is that he relies on his scrambling ability, which makes for awesome fights to watch and is a quality you enjoy watching just as, you know, this guy's a badass. But, like, against Herbert Burns, that seems to me like a really, really bad style to go up against him because you put yourself in one bad spot against a guy like Herbert Burns. And I, I think the fight will be over shortly after. And, and I feel like even though Herbert's this big favorite, I feel like a lot of the MMA community – uh underrate him actually they think that they're under the impression that he's a very overrated guy that he's all hype and i feel like his jujitsu skills are legit as hell man and i feel like he's been making improvements i feel like he's been getting better every single fight so i don't think herbert's overhyped and another thing another big thing you know that daniel's last two fights were overturned because of you know peds and all I got to say is if you test positive for PEDs and PFL, I mean, he must have been injecting like horse semen into himself for him to fucking test positive because everybody on P in PFL is juiced and none of those guys are testing positive. So for him to test positive, like, holy shit, now you take it a step further. What's he going to look like in the USADA testing pool? Is he going to be a little deflated? And last thing. His last fight against Jeremy Kennedy. Jeremy Kennedy took his back. What's going to happen when Herbert Burns does the same thing? So I'm going Herbert Burns here via first-round submission again. Yeah, man. Uh, Herbert Burns, to be honest, is one of my favorite 145 prospects at the moment, man. I actually uh, max bet him his last fight against um, Dunham. You know, Dunham was a black belt and you've seen what happened uh when they got on the mat i mean it was it was it was over very quickly uh and i feel like it's gonna be the same thing here on saturday night i'm a big fan of the pit pineda but bro like this whole career resurgence he's on bro he ain't been fighting nobody i know he knocked out the the uh russian and it's it funny because that russian actually beat herbert too <laughs> um he beat that uh he beat herbert in one fc i believe um so you know I think Herbert, man, is just a different, I, I, like I tried to say uh, before the Dunham fight, man, it's a different caliber of jujitsu. And don't sleep on the kids striking either. I know it's not the prettiest, but like, bro, you saw what he did to, to Nate the Train uh, down there in North Carolina. Like he, 
he knocked him out with the knee, and I think that his striking is getting better. Just give give him some time to get more comfortable. But the jujitsu, like you said, Jeremy Kennedy was on this guy's back. Even even some of his other fights, man. Like it, it's one of those things where it hurt. Like the Burns brothers jujitsu, it, it, it's a different level. Like you give those guys a, a hook, a, a arm, it, it's over. And I think uh, Daniel Pineda is going to be tapping uh, for the. How many times has he been submitted in his career? Six. For the, I think he's going to be tapping for the seventh time uh, in his career on Saturday night. So I'm gonna go with Herbert Burns to to con- to continue their run for the Burns brothers. And man, let's be honest here: are the Burns brother? Let's be honest here: if the Burns brothers and the Diaz bros meet up in the street, who's winning that? <laughs> it's a great fight. Four black belts. Uh, currently, you know, the, uh, you, know the, you know the Burns brothers would play with them on that mat, right? <laughs> Man, I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it. So next up in the Bantamweight division, we got a matchup between John the Magician Dodson. He's 21 and 11, and Marab Dewalishwili is 11 and 4. Currently, they got Marab Dewalishwili minus 240. The comeback on John Dodson is plus 200. Well, Shaka, we know that John Dodson stopped the last prospect he fought. You think he stops this one too? Man, this is a good fight because, you know, like initially coming into this week, I was like, "Oh, Marab's gonna fucking whip his ass!" <laughs> like, you know. Uh, but man, I, I actually think Dotson kind of looked rejuvenated a little bit his last fight against uh, Wood, and you know, you cannot forget that man. And the reason why, uh, you know, at first I was thinking Wood was gonna win that fight, but man, when I started watching Tay, I was like, "Man, Dotson is a tough fight, man." Like. It ain't easy fighting Dotson, bro, because, like, he kind of doesn't give you much to go on. And, you know, you start chasing him around because, you know, he likes to run in there, man. It's like, you know, then you make a mistake and get countered and dropped. And he dropped. Bro, look at, let's listen to the people that this guy's dropped. He floored Peter in. He dropped Marlon Marais. He uh, knocked out TJ Dillashaw. Uh, and like, man, the, the competition level, this guy had been fighting murderers, row, bro, Peter, Pedro Munoz, uh, all the guys I just said. Um, I mean, this guy, man, is very tested. And, and, you know, although a lot of people don't like his little, you know, little kid gimmick, man, this guy is a very good fighter, man, a very underrated fighter. And Marab Devalish, really, I love Marab. He's a ball of energy. I say it over and over. Take down City. But, man, let's just be honest here, bro. He ain't fought no one even close to a John Dodson before. And I kind of do think that his resume and this line is a bit inflated, man. And I'm not sitting here saying that John Dodson's going to come out here and, and catch him because I know what the deal is here. He's, he's fighting an uphill battle just because Marab is very, you know, wind-driven. He He's going to press. And, and and we know Dodson's got, you know, north of a 80% takedown defense, I believe. And, and it's very hard. He's very squirmy. But Marab, he just has the the style to get the win. You know, he presses. He's the one that's leading the dance. He's the one that's, you know, moving forward. But, man, uh, let's just be honest here, bro. In that Casey Kinney fight, I know he did his thing with the takedowns. But, bro, in the boxing exchanges, there was not just one moment that made me very nervous with this fight with Dotson. There were several moments that made me nervous. There were so many times where Casey just fell short of that left hand. I mean, he did crack him with the left hand, but... Imagine what a better guy, a more experienced guy, a guy that's been in there with Peter Yan and Jimmy Rivera and all these guys could do. The the the, the experience level is completely different, man. So to be honest, I think this is a dog or pass situation. I, I, I love Marab, but like I think like what I'm asking myself is what has he done to 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 be a minus two something favorite over Dotson. Like we're talking about a guy that gave Marlon Marais one of his tougher fights. He lost and the, and Dotson is, we already know Dotson's issue is issue is, he, you know, sometimes he loses these close decisions like Marais split decision, Lineker split decision. Uh, you know, he loses some of these decisions cause you know, he didn't do enough. So th- that could be the case here, but to be honest, I don't think Marab's anywhere near that level just yet. I think he could be, but just as from what I've seen, I do think he's a little bit inflated. I know he's getting these takedown records, but yeah, against fucking Brad Katona and, and Casey Kinney, who are no offense to Casey. Casey's my boy, but Casey gets taken down every single fight, man. Like, you know, uh, and the, you know, the last kid was a, was a, a fill in. So, you know, uh, 
I think Marab's probably going to outwork him, you know, and probably avoid getting caught. But I don't see him holding him down. He's going to have to just clinch him the entire time. And in the striking exchanges, bro, I see it being one of those things where if he if you underestimate Dotson for any significant uh, amount of time, bro, he will crack you. He will drop you. Um, and I do feel like, you know, Dotson, another thing uh, that I wanted to say is, you know, Dotson finally left. Uh, he finally left Winklejohn and uh and Greg Jackson, man, you know, uh, he took, where's he at? He's, uh, at the, at the other one, um, at the oh, other Tom Vaughn. Nah, the fucking where like Venata and them train at. um, Oh, diet Jackson. Yeah. The, 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 the junior Jackson gym, you know, <laughs> like, uh, but, uh, you know, he, he, and he's doing any, you know, trains with cowboy and shit too. But, uh, I think that, uh, he, I mean, he said himself, he said that he wasn't getting better with uh, Winkle John. He said, I mean, obviously, you know, look at my fights. <laughs> I wasn't getting better. He said uh, kind of something similar to uh, what Diego Sanchez said, that they were kind of just like, you know, going through the motions with them for so long. And he, and he kind of feels like he wasted a lot of time there. Uh, he said that, you know. He kind of just feels like uh, now you're going to start seeing him. But, man, I, I love Marab, man. I love this kid's energy. This kid's so positive. Uh, it's just that, you know, from a skill standpoint, I think he's really slow in the exchanges. And I do think he's going to have a tough time uh, holding him down. But I, I do think he's going to be leading the dance. So I'll, I'll take him for a split decision win. But I think it's going to be a lot tougher than the line. Man, uh, I can't wait for this fight. And... I'll just go ahead and say I'm a little more confident on Marab than you are. Um, but, yeah, I feel you. You know, Dotson does res uh, deserve respect, no doubt about it. I mean, knocked out TJ Dillashaw, beat Pedro Munoz, even though I thought he lost that fight. Knocked out Nathaniel Wood. But, I mean, even going into the Nathaniel Wood, I bet Nathaniel Wood. And my whole thing was, like, we're going to outwork him, but I know Nathaniel's chinny. Hopefully we don't get knocked out. And we got knocked out. Whereas going into this one, I don't think Marab's chinny. I think Marab's got the best cardio in the entire division. So I think even if Marab gets dropped, his cardio is so damn good that he's going to recover. He's going to get back up. And, yeah, you know, I know the stat says that John Dodson has 80% takedown defense. And, honestly, I think after this fight, it'll still say that he's got really good takedown defense because I think he's going to stuff the first takedown. I think he's going to stuff the second takedown. I think he's going to stuff the third takedown. I just don't think he's going to stuff the fourth, fifth, sixth seventh eighth ninth tenth takedown you know and i think he might pop back up from a couple of them he's got a great get-up game it's just that uh when you talk about a guy like marab and his his name being the machine and yeah not just because he gets so many takedowns but more so because he doesn't get discouraged if you get back up like if you watch weidman's fight the other day against akhmedov when akhmedov got back up all of a sudden you see weidman like <gasps> You know, breathing, huffing and puffing hard, whereas Marab, you get back up, it's like no big deal. He doesn't get discouraged at all. He's going to try again over and over, and I don't care what kind of elevation John Dodson is training at. He is going to get gassed out. He is going to get tired, and by the time the second and third round rolls around, I feel like then he's not going to be able to get back up, and then he's going to start complaining about low blows, about his hair getting pulled, the whole bit. Uh, I got Marab here to take him into deep waters and drown him. I know the early going might be a little sketch, but I, I just think uh, I just think this is Marab's time, and I think he's going to take care of Biz here in the toughest uh, challenge he's ever faced. Uh, and that's no disrespect to Dodson. Like, yeah, I do think Dodson can land a hard punch or two, but, like, to knock a guy out like Marab, you either need to touch the button or you need to hit him over and over and over again. And I just don't see that happening. So I'm going with Marab here to uh, win a unanimous decision. Now, next up in the heavyweight division, we got a matchup between Junior Cigano Dos Santos. He's 21-7. and seven, And Jerzinho Rosenstrike is 10-1. and one. Currently, they got Jerzino Rosenstrike minus 135. The comeback on Junior Cigano is plus 115. Well, Shaq, I've said it many times. I feel like Junior Cigano's run from his UFC debut, that knockout against Fabricio Werdum, all the way to his first title defense against Frank Mir, that's one of the best heavyweights we've ever seen in the history of the sport. That run right there is up there with all the great heavyweight runs. So I think he's a future Hall of Famer for sure. And with Jerzinho, obviously he's coming off a devastating loss as well. But I feel like he's at a better point in his career right now. You know, he's the more durable guy despite the Nganu loss. And I feel like he's the more confident guy. And one thing I'll say about Cigano, 
is that I feel like these days he's just fighting for a paycheck. I don't think that, you know, he's got the same hunger he once did as evidence in that Curtis Blades fight. You know, how often do you see Curtis Blades going out there knocking people out standing? I'm not talking about with ground and pound. I'm talking about standing. Never. I mean, Curtis Blades is not known for being a heavy hitter standing. He's known for, you know, his amazing wrestling, and then he can ground and pound TKO guys. But he goes out there against Sigano, hits him with a hard shot standing, and he didn't knock him out or anything. Sigano just had enough, covered up, let the ref intervene. And I feel like if a similar situation happens here, it's going to be the same thing, man. One thing about Jairzinho, we know his ground game ain't the best, but listen, Junior Sigano hasn't landed a takedown in the UFC since 2014. So I don't really see him doing that. He doesn't go for takedowns. He likes to use his boxing for MMA and his calf kicks. I feel like Jairzinho, Rosenstrike's kick returns are on point if JDS wants to come out here with the calf kicks. And then when it comes down to the hands, I feel like Jairzinho can take a better shot and I feel like he's going to counter him with something big. So I'm actually going to go with Jairzinho to get back on track, and I think he knocks out the former champ, uh, Junior Cigano Dos Santos, here. Yeah, you know, I feel like JDS might be done, man, to be honest. Like, I feel like uh, his last fight was a bit alarming, and, you know, yeah, you know, he got knocked out, but I think it was from the, uh, you know, just the level change, the, the threat of the takedown that was – uh, kind of throwing him off a, a little bit there, leading him to get knocked out. So, yeah, um, JDS, bro, just some of the shit that he says is kind of alarming. I mean, he's been saying dumb shit for, for, for a long time. I know you remember when he said, uh, what do you say about Francis? He said, all this guy has is power, you know? I mean, <laughs> like, no shit, buddy. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> all he has is power. <laughs> but uh i think uh yeah rosenstrike man I, I really i like rosenstrike man i think he's one of the top you know it's definitely a top five striker in the heavyweight division uh, the over the other overall parts in his game uh you know I, at first i was like but man Shaq, what about the uh, what about his clinch work what about his ground game his clinch is fucking terrible is his uh his ground, but then it's like, man, he's in there with a, a, a super well-rounded fighter like Overeem, who you know, who knows how to use all of his skills. And I'm like, I'm like, Shaq, when has JDS ever shot a takedown? I can't even, you know, like, is JDS gonna come? Out? And I feel like JDS is that stubborn, stubborn guy that's gonna go in there and 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 strike with Jarzino and probably get caught and countered and knocked out, man. So I, I am going to uh, go with Jarzino. I think he's in better health, younger. Um, unless JDS comes out here and looks to switch it up, you know, to the clinch jujitsu uh, style game plan, you know, then then I'll be holding my breath like, oh, fuck Jarzino, because Jarzino needs work in that clinch, bro. He can't get out the clinch at all in his uh, – and his ground game, all that is still a work in progress, man. Uh, and I don't look any lesser on him for, Fran you know, for getting knocked out against Frankie Murder. You know, Frankie Murder, uh, you know what happens uh, when he took the new Frankie Murder, not the one that, you know, a lot of people forget that, man. Dana White even said it. This dude wasn't training for the Stipe fight, man. <laughs> he uh, he uh, wasn't taking things seriously. But I think uh, Jarzino's the better striker, and I think Junior Dos Santos will strike with him and get knocked out. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think Francis Ngannou is a future world champion now that he's got his shit together. And I know a lot of the talk of this fight has been look at the physique of Junior Cigano because, you know, he was looking kind of fat in that Curtis Blades fight. And now if you look on his IG, he's looking in shape. But I'll be honest with you, with you man. I don't give a shit what his abs look like. I don't give a shit how cool his mustache looks. What about his like, chin, though? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> what about his heart? What about when he gets hit with a hard one and doesn't want to continue? Cool abs and a and a nice mustache doesn't fix that. So I got Jerzino here. Co-main event of the evening in the Bantamweight division. We got a showdown between Sugar Sean O'Malley. He's 12-0. And, and Marlon Chito Vera is 17-6. Currently, they got Sugar Sean O'Malley minus 280. The comeback on Marlon Chito Vera is plus 240. Well, Shaq, I got a question for you. Can Marlon Chito Vera... Take Sugar Sean O'Malley to that place that Derek Brunson took Edmund Shabazian to. Yeah, you know, uh, it's a good point. You, you kind of bring that analogy up. Uh, and, and it's funny, that kind of crossed my mind. And, you know, I feel like uh, the deal with, well, in that fight with Brunson and, and Edmund, man, you could tell Edmund was getting so fatigued after they would wrestle, you know, <laughs> you know, he would stuff the takedowns, but 
he would get so tired, uh, you know, after they grappled that, you know, then the striking became closer and, and you know, then Edmund was, uh, was, uh, you know, on all fours on the ground, kind of like the, you know, Edmund's quit position, you know, when he gets on all fours and he, uh, you remember from the Stewart fight, but, uh, yeah, man, this fight is going to, it's a, it's a war zone. Cause look, Marlon Vera, I'll go ahead and say, I feel like he's grown tremendously, you know, since he got signed and he's earned his way to this point. He's number 15. I believe he made it to those rankings. Uh, I mean, the guy is a vicious finisher. Um, and now we got Sugar Sean O'Malley, who I've never been down on, man. I, I, I like Sean, bro. Like, Sean is fucking legit, bro. I've been saying that since he fought uh, Terion Ware. I was like, man, this guy uh, is the real deal. And, I mean, his performances have uh, shown. Granted, it hasn't been against anyone, you know, that's relevant somewhat. But I, I, I definitely think the kid has the skills. Um, as far as how they match up. So, you know, speaking of Vera, Vera's last fight against uh, Yadong, I actually bet him in that fight, plus 170. You know, it, things didn't go his way. He lost the unanimous decision. And, you know, live, I definitely thought it was a robbery. But, bro, it, shit was far from a robbery. And, uh, and I'll be the first to say that. Um, I think it was more so, you know, Bisping was cheering his teammate on and, you know, uh, was kind of influencing the thing live. But the issue in that fight was, like, you know, some will say that you know Vera lost Vera lost the first seven eight minutes and then he won he won the the last you know seven minutes, but the what I saw was basically Marlon's skills in the clinch, you know he he added some trips to his game the clinch with the elbows you know he goes to the body from in tight but what I saw uh, that I didn't like for this fight with O'Malley was just the boxing man. There was such a huge discrepancy between the two in boxing that, like, every time they got out in distance, Song Yid whatever points Marlon just got, Song Yidong would get them right back because Marlon had no answer, like, not even close to an answer for Song Yidong in the boxing. And that's more of the 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 traditional style, you know, where he just stands in front of him. Like, Marlon was shelled up for a, for a lot of the fight, and the first round was definitely Song's. The uh, second song got off to a good start, kind of started to slow down. And then the third round, even the third round, I thought it was a close round. Like, like I, I still thought, like, song landed some good hooks and, and definitely touched him. But I do not like Vera's boxing, man. I think he gets hit a ton. And I know we say this all in all of his fights. You know, he gets rocked. He comes back and, you know, this. But, bro, against a guy like O'Malley, I really think he needs to be pressing with the takedowns from jump. But I, I personally don't think he has that, like, you know, if, I feel like people are banking like, like, oh, if O'Malley gets on the ground, he's not going to have shit. And I, I, I disagree, man. I, I really do. I, I I think that, you know, when you got these, you know, this personalized training camp with, you know, he's got two uh, black belts at his disposal, his coach Welsh and Augusto Mendez, that he's getting that that one-on-one -on -one attention from every single day. I feel like he is, he is going to, uh, we haven't seen it yet, but I think he has it. And, you know, a lot of people say, can he push him to that place? So what's the darkest place O'Malley has been in, you know, in the UFC? It's, it's obviously a Terry on Ware fight. Granted, he was very young at the time. That was his uh, UFC debut. And, you know, the first round he's touching Terry on up, doing, cutting his angles, doing his thing. And then the second round, he kind of started to slow down, and Tarion was really, like, pushing the pedal and was really, uh, you know, tagging him. And that's where you want to see a young prospect, like, what's going to happen here? Is he going to completely fold here, or is he going to, uh, you know, suck it up? And and, I, and he sucked it up, man. I think O'Malley does have that dog in him if, if shit does hit the fan. I do think he has that dog in him. Um, but to be honest, man, I don't think shit's even going to get to that point. I like Vera a lot, but, like, I just think there's such a big discrepancy in footwork, angles, boxing that, you know, he, he's probably I, I think he's going to get knocked out for the first time in his career. Or I think O'Malley can I think O'Malley can just keep touching him. I think O'Malley's a different type of striker. Like, you know, I'm not going to make these McGregor comparisons, but he kind of plays a similar game. And me and you have been saying that from from day one. He plays that, you know. He baits guys in and he counters them and it's a and if you can play that game and he was already playing that game at such a young age and uh, you know I'm not gonna sit here and say future champion this future champion because I I don't see him beating no Peter Yan or or nothing like that but I, I I think he's gonna win this fight and I think it's a a logical next step fight because look Vera 
you know, isn't a guy that's going to come out here and, you know, press with double legs. He's more of like, you know, hop around to the back, uh, hop around to the back type of guy. And Vera just gets hit too much from distance. And, you know, it, it's kind of been the same issue, you know, it, like for the Song Yudong fight, he got started too late. The the John Lineker fight, he got started too late. The Douglas D. Silva and Drudge fight, he got started too late, um, you know, so. I think uh, it's either going to be another case of that he loses a he loses the first you know the first uh, half of the fight and just falls too behind down on points, or he gets knocked out because I really do think I haven't seen guys you know this young cut angles like O'Malley and I, just his head movement like the way he thinks in there like on the fly I think is very impressive. Granted, this is going to be as tough the toughest opponent, but also from a betting perspective, like the amount of people this line's almost went down like a, a dollar. And I think that O'Malley is the real deal, man. I see this guy fighting these these like the Garbrands and the Riveras and, and and those guys. I really do, man. I think he's gonna beat Cheeto Vera on Saturday night. I think the value's actually on O'Malley, but I, I look if you got Mar- Marlon at that line, I don't blame you. It's a he's a good fighter and it's a big line, but I think he kind of falls right into O'Malley's hands, man. Uh I think that Vera likes to take a lot. I mean look at the Guido Canetti fight. The in a lot of his fights, man, he gets hit a lot. And I know that's kind of his M.O., but against a guy like Sean who cuts these angles like that and has that technical prowess, I think he's going to lose, man. I, I got I got to go with Sean O'Malley. Uh, I'll say by stop. Man, this is a tough fight uh, for me because obviously, firstly, let's just go ahead and get this out the way. You guys know I'm very biased when it comes to Cheeto Vera. Uh, just, you know, Back when I was first starting half the battle and this guy was first starting his UFC career, like when he was fighting Roman Salazar and shit, he was one of the first fighters I ever had on my show. So no matter what, I'll always be biased for Cheeto Vera and I'll I'll always root for him because when no one gave a shit about me, this guy gave me the time of day. And I just love his story. The fact that he was in Ecuador, you know, training with cab drivers literally at a gym called 50-50 and he made it to the UFC on that alone. Then when he moved to California at Oyama, now he's actually you know progressing he hit the top 15 so one thing you always like to talk about with a guy like drew dober is one day this guy will be rewarded for his hard work and i feel like one day marlon chito vera will be rewarded for his hard work too now i agree with you that first round he's gonna get lit up and there's no there's no ifs ands or buts about it he's gonna get lit up that first round potentially get knocked out too uh but my my question with o'malley is not from his offense i know how amazing he is uh striking i know the angles like you mentioned his pull counter game his length for the weight class it's not often you see six foot tall bantamweights it's just uh i'm wondering what happens when he gets hit like yeah and that terry on where fight he did overcome adversity but like terry on where went zero and four in the ufc terry on where has never knocked anything out in his life before terry on where is not a finisher so, but I feel like that's a different O'Malley. I feel like after his USADA suspension, he came back, put on a lot of size. Like you see how big he is these days. He's not that skinny little vegan kid anymore. Now, now the guy's eating some meat. You know what I mean? So he's put on some size, had some amazing performances, but I don't know what happens when he gets cracked on the chin. I don't know what happens when he's off his back. I don't know what happens if it's 1-1 going to the third round and you got to make that decision to dig deep. I mean, I know the tear on where it was kind of that 1-1 situation, but I feel like it's different with Cheeto Vera. And one thing about Vera is uh, he's got an insane chin. I mean, John Lineker was long time considered to be one of the top knockout artists at bantamweight and you know cheeto ate all his shots got to the third round then won the third round on two judges scorecards in brazil song yadong everyone was talking like he was the next knockout artist at uh, 135 pounds and yeah cheeto cheeto ate his shots too no problem the same shots that launched you know alejandro perez and all these other guys so he's very durable i'm curious to see if his durability holds up here and I also like how he's handled the mental warfare compared to how other guys do. You know, I feel like, uh, you know, uh, Sean dyed his hair the color of the Ecuadorian flag, which I know Cheeto's acting like that didn't bother him at all. He's acting like it's no big deal. But you got to think the people around Cheeto are like, dude, you have to fucking make him pay for that. You, so I know there's some pressure coming from the Cheeto Vera camp as far as that's concerned, even though he plays it off like it's no big deal at all. I don't know, man. It's a tough one to call. I definitely think Sean O'Malley is the rightful favorite. And I feel like 
I was leaning more towards Marlon when he was, you know, around the plus 275 number. I was feeling like, man, maybe that's a good spot to take a shot because, like, no one's exempt from that first L. Like, even going back to that Edmund versus Brunson fight, I still feel like Edmund has a higher ceiling than Brunson. I still feel like when it's all said and done, Edmund's going to end his career higher ranked than Brunson ever touched. And I, I feel like that might be the case with O'Malley and Vera. I feel like O'Malley projects to be better. He might hit a higher ranking down the line. But sometimes when it's first L time, you lose to guys that you're better than. It, that's just how it goes sometimes. I mean, Connor versus Diaz that first time. Uh, Diaz was that durable guy that was able to take it to deep waters and take him to a place he's never been. I feel like Marlon's got those qualities. It's just about is it going to happen on Saturday night? I'm not sure, and when I'm not sure, I'll take the big dog. So I'm going to go with Marlon Chito Vera to get a third-round TKO. Main event of the evening for the heavyweight championship, the trilogy between Stipe Miocic, he's 19-3, and and Daniel D.C. Cormier is 22-2. and Currently, it's a pick with a slight lean on Cormier, minus 115 Cormier. The comeback on Miocic is minus 105. I do see some plus 100s on uh, Miocic on the board, depending what book you look at. So, man, uh, the first time they fought, I felt like Stipe was dominating. He got caught. The second time they fought, I felt like DC was dominating. He got caught. Who you think goes down in the in the trilogy here? Yeah, man, this is uh, such a close fight because I think everyone's pretty much playing the same angle here. Uh, if the fight gets stopped early, you know, DC is probably going to knock him out. And if it goes to the late rounds, uh, Miocic, you know, will prevail. Um Man, it's a tough fight because, you know, Cormier, this being his retirement fight, you know, at first it was worrying me, but man, like, Cormier is such a competitor, man, where like, you know, this would, this kind of would be like the perfect way for him to go out um, against Stipe Miocic. And Stipe Miocic, it's like, you know, how many times are we going to underestimate him? You know, the champs at dog money again, you know, it's like, you know, how many times are we going to underestimate this guy? And, uh, you know, and he comes through and I'm like, man, why do why does everyone keep underestimating him? Well, it's because he gets hit a lot. I mean, he takes a lot of clean shots in his fights. He got dropped against Overeem twice. He, you know, Frankie Murder it looked like he was going to kill him. But, you know, uh, but let's just say Frankie Frankie Murder warmed up his chin for Cormier in the first fight. You know what I'm saying? Because uh, I think it was a quick turnaround from what I remember. So, you know, uh, I think that uh, that's the reason why Stipe Miocic will take an, ac- an occasional big blow to the chin and either get hurt, dropped. And, and and then Cormier, on the other hand, it's more of like, man, he's so short. So, you know, he's got to close the distance and to, to close the distance, he has to keep moving forward. And, you know, uh, Cormier is a big belly guy and, you know, uh, you know, he gets tired in the late rounds, man. So I, I definitely agree with the angles. Ah. From a pick point, man, I'm going to go with Cormier, man. I got to go with DC. I got to go with DC, man. Last fight, I think uh, in in the 25 minutes that these guys fought, I truly feel like Cormier has won the overwhelmingly majority of it. I just think in that fourth round, Stipe, you know, he found his adjustment. And I'm sure they're going to look to get on that a lot earlier this time in the trilogy fight, you know, to – but man, I do feel like Cormier is the better fighter. It's just he needs to pace himself properly, and that's a tough task against a guy that Stipe is what six four or five, uh, and you know Cormier is only what five ten eleven. So you know he's got to. That's why he he's got to take such a. You know, it's like when guys used to fight Vic back in the day. You know, they had to they had to take like three steps in just to just to try to hit him on the chin. You know. It's tough, you know, and then you start to gas out. So uh, it could go either way, man. But if you got that dog money on Stipe, I, I think that, that like, for, for now, I think that would be the side to be on, you know. Uh, I mean, if you could get either either one of these guys at dog money, man, I feel like it's a good bet. I feel like it, this is one of these fights where you, you shouldn't be opposed to taking either side, you know. Yeah, look, uh, I'll pick uh... – Stipe a little bit more confidently and I'll tell you why man so you watch the first fight and I felt like Stipe was actually doing his thing he got started fast he's actually lighting Cormier Cormier up but 
off a clinch exchange, beautifully placed right hand by Cormier, knocks him out. Then in the rematch, so I feel like there's a lot of misconceptions uh, that, you know, DC was dominating him and then a couple body shots. And I feel like, man, there was a lot more to it than just, you know, a domination from DC and then a couple body shots from Stipe. I feel like Stipe made him work the entire time. You watch that first round when DC, you know, lands the only takedown that he landed the entire fight, you know, picks him up, kind of tries to do the Matt Hughes, take him to the center, slam him down. And like Stipe made him work. Like he wasn't just able to hold him down. Like Stipe is pushing down on the head and then the round ends and it's actually Stipe going for a takedown attempt of his own. And one thing I've noticed about Cormier, every single time he's been in a fight that's, you know, hit the championship rounds, the John Jones fight. What was John Jones famous quote? John Jones famous quote was when it came time to embrace the grind. That's exactly what I did. You know what I mean? What happened in that Gustafsson fight? Gustafsson dropped Cormier with knees in the later rounds. And then what happened in the Stipe rematch? It goes to the championship rounds and Stipe folds him. So I don't think it's because, you know, Daniel Cormier is not running his miles or any shit like that. I think it's because Daniel Cormier pushes such a heavy pace that he quite frankly can't maintain it for all five rounds. And now a year later, you know, he's 41 years old now. He's got one foot out the door talking retirement. What that lets me know is that if this hits deep waters again, why do I think that he's going to dig deep this time? Like when he's exhausted, knowing that he's about to retire, like whereas I feel like Stipe is willing to die in there still. So I think Stipe and and I hate to say shit like, oh, tougher guy or not tougher guy. When you're talking about someone like Daniel fucking Cormier, one of the best uh, fighters we've ever seen in the history of the sport. But I really think that Stipe is willing to dig deeper at this point in his career, man. And then I'm also curious to see if he comes out here ripping the body earlier this time. And I know DC is going to have a counter to that because, you know, the counter to the left uh, hook to the body is the left hook upstairs. But it's not just the Stipe fight where we saw him have issues to the body. You remember the Frank Mir fight in round three? Round three, the only success Frank Mir had was attacking the body. The Anderson Silva fight, the only success Anderson Silva had in round three was attacking the body. So I feel like Stipe should probably come out here, go to the body a little earlier. And then everyone's talking about how this time DC is going to wrestle. It's like, well, DC tried to wrestle last time too. Did y'all forget that? It's just uh, Stipe made him work for literally everything. So I feel like if DC comes out here with more wrestling, it's going to tire him out even faster, which will lead to the finish even quicker for Stipe this time. So... Yeah, man, uh, I feel like DC's got to have the perfect fight here or knock him out early, but have the perfect fight here, not gas out, outwork him over the five round duration. And I just see that being really hard to do in the third, fourth and fifth round. So I'm, I'm going with Stipe here to keep his belt. I'm done underestimating him. I'm done counting him out. Watch him get knocked out in the first 30 seconds. Right. But no, I'm done picking against him. I think he defends his belt and cements his legacy as uh, the greatest heavyweight of all time. I mean, this is a guy that beat Word Doom, dethroned Word Doom, by the way, uh, and dethroned the Word Doom that, you know, beat Cain Velasquez and Fedor, beat Junior Cigano, beat Francis Ngannou, beat Daniel Cormier. Like, another win over Cormier, I, I think it's sealed, man. So uh, I'm going with Stipe Miocic and still. Well, Shaq, now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch for USC 252? My fight to watch is going to be the co-main event. You know, I just think that's the, you know, that's the war zone fight. You know, I know these two are going to have, uh, you know, an interesting face-off tomorrow. And I just think that's the the fight. I think that's, I know Stipe and Cormier are the legends and, you know, uh, you know, the guys, you know, the two heavyweights, the two baddest men on the planet. But I think everyone's low-key main event is, uh, is O'Malley versus uh, Vera. Yeah, I mean, tell me the last time O'Malley or Vera had a boring fight, you know what I mean? And now both these guys worked their way up to a pay-per-view co-main event. It's a beautiful thing to see. For me, my fight to watch is Herbert Burns versus Daniel Pineda. I feel like it's almost a lock that this fight isn't going the distance. And real quick, let me actually look what the line is for this fight to not go the distance. Okay, so fight doesn't go the distance, minus 390. I mean, they're thinking someone's going to get finished. Uh, I'm thinking someone's going to get finished. I mean, Daniel Pineda, close to 40 pro fights, never been the distance before <laughs> Herbert Burns chokes everyone out or knocks everyone out in the first round. This fight is going to be amazing while it lasts. Herbert Burns versus Daniel Pineda is my fight to watch. Well, Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC 252? 
My fighter to watch is actually going to be surprising. It's going to be John Dotson, man, because I feel like uh, he's got a tough uh, a tough task with uh, the machine, Marab Devalishvili. And I feel like Dotson, man, he, he is underrated. And I feel like, uh, man, I kind of feel like he's in a good place mentally. So I'm interested to see how he uh, performs how he performs on uh, on Saturday against Marab. And, you know, if he gets this win, man, like Marab is super hyped up. Right? I mean, he's minus two-something two against Dotson. So, you know, I feel like uh, if he gets this win to take out two of their, you know, top prospects back-to-back, man, would really put him in a good position. You know, I feel like a lot of people aren't giving him uh, enough credit for that win against, uh, uh, against Prospect Wood. So, you know, Dotson's my fighter to watch. My fighter to watch is the opposite, uh, Marab Dewalish-Wheelie. This is the biggest opportunity of his entire career. I mean, John Dodson is no easy out. You guys already know the people John Dodson has beat throughout his career, the position he's in. This is the first top 15, I was going to say top 10, but really top 15 guy that Marab's ever faced in his entire career. And this is going to let us know exactly where he's at because uh, it's not easy to beat John Dotson, let alone look good against him. And Marab has landed, you know, five or more takedowns every single UFC fight he's had. Some of them he's hit, you know, 11, 12, 13 takedowns. I'm curious to see what the number uh, is here on Saturday night. So for that reason, Marab is my fighter to watch. Well, Shaq, we did it. It's going down this Saturday in Las Vegas, Nevada at the Apex UFC 252. They can follow you at MMA Genius 05. They can follow me at Best Fight Picks. They can hit us up at bestfightpicks.com. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, all the places where we are available. We truly appreciate your support. We'll be back next week for... The, the card, August 22nd, you already know it's the UFC debut of Jared Gooden and Impa Kasaganai. Now uh, two of our favorite prospects got signed to the UFC, and it was supposed to be the debut of Phil Rowe as well, but unfortunately he broke his toe in sparring. He's out the fight, but still got Impa and Gooden, and they got some tough opponents, so it's going to be a hell of a card. And then Pedro Munoz versus Frankie Edgar in the main event. I can't wait. Thank you so much to everybody for the support. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.